Hey, I'm Jason Wood, the VA Loan Guy and host of the Armed and Ready podcast. Please come and check out this exciting episode we have for you. Today we have Marine veteran and local San Diego realtor Randall Parks with us today, going to share with us his experience serving in Afghanistan and even some of his effort in helping extract some people and get them out after the fall. So uh, Randall, thanks for being with us, man. Jason, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Um, so tell us a little bit about you, right? Um, so you just retired yeah. from, from active duty service. So tell us, you know, how did you decide to like join the military? What was, what was the pull? What was the draw for that? Um, you know, I, I grew up in Riverside, uh, here in California, um, I, you know, played sports throughout high school and, you know, I, I didn't really want to go to college, you know, um, you know, uh, after graduating high school and, uh, I, I just wanted to just do something in, 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 uh, in serve, serve my country, um, and just travel, you know, all the, all the things that most people, uh, join for, um, I knew that. There wasn't really much for me in this little small town that I grew up in. Um, not a lot of opportunities. So I just wanted to take advantage of the opportunities that the military would provide. Um, I joined in July of 2001. So I was in recruit training uh, during 9-11, wow. which was which is really gnarly experience. Wow. Tense time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when I joined, you know, I joined to get on ship and go from port to port and see all these different countries. And, and uh, you know, on September 11th, 2001, that all changed. Right. Yeah, you're going to the desert. Yeah, I'm going to the <laughs> desert. <laughs> um, so you joined during that time. I got to imagine like all the training, like basic and your MOS school and all that stuff, like just the the tension, the intensity of all that had to have been a little bit more than a couple of years prior, right? Um, yeah. I, I mean, I can only imagine, you know, just, you know, having the DIs and, you know, all your different instructors and stuff are probably pretty intense with the way the training went. So I'm sure you guys like felt that the whole way through, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, Marine recruit training is, is intense by, by nature, but it was really weird to see the switch, you know, right? Like, because when I first joined, you know, my senior drone instructor had been in 12 years. He had like four ribbons, which means, you know, he'd only been on like one deployment hmm. because prior to, you know, September 11th, there was really not a lot, lot going on for the military. Right. Um, and then as soon as that happened, everything kind of changed. Like the way people looked looked at everything. Like we were on the shooting circles up on Pendleton, learning marksmanship when September 11th happened. So, like it became real, like real quick. Wow. Um, and then just seeing like, you know, transporting back from Pendleton back down to San Diego, and just seeing like all the overpasses just littered with patriotism and you know, kind of the country like coming together. Um, you know, of course there's all the rumors flying around that, you know, school of infantry was going to get cut short and we were going to go directly over, uh, to Afghanistan. Um, it, it never happened. And, and in fact, I didn't really, I didn't deploy until 2005, my first deployment. Oh, no kidding. So yeah, I thought I was going to go right away. And then, um, I, and, and I didn't even go to Afghanistan in 2005. I went to, I went to Iraq. Um, so I went, I went to Iraq with the uh, first recon battalion, um, you know, by then the, the, the battle of Fallujah had already happened. So really there wasn't a lot going on, just kind of us just driving around and getting hit with IEDs and sniper fire. Um, so just a walk so, in the park, right? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, the personal security, uh, for the battalion commander and Sergeant major. So we were just kind of driving around the AO, 
um, which was probably the worst thing that we probably could be doing at that time. Um, just constantly on the road, day, night, didn't matter. Wow. So, so yeah. Um, and then, you know, here I am, you know, 20 years later. Um, it's been a wild ride and I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I, I took advantage of the opportunities that kind of came my way throughout the time. It was a great time to be in because, um, you know, wartime Marine Corps is just a good time to be in the Marine Corps. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's so many cool, like, benefits, which, um, you know, we can touch on a little bit, but you know, your GI bill, your VA loan, like all that stuff. Um, and even beyond that, I mean, so many nonprofits and things that you can plug into. Um, yeah, but uh, that aside, like, you know, with Afghanistan being, you know, this, this hot topic right now, um, you were deployed to Afghanistan, right? Yeah. yeah many- I, I did two deployments to Afghanistan. Um, the first one was in 2007, Went out with um, Marine Special Operations Company Bravo. Uh, we were the first uh, company from first what is now First Raider Battalion to deploy. We'd like to call ourselves Season One. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was an awesome deployment. We had great dudes on that deployment. Most of everybody had like three combat tours under their belt, so I was like one of the junior guys. Um, so we did we did a few months there, and then I deployed again um, in 2009 um, with uh, Special Operations Task Force West. Um, and that's where I kind of ran into my interpreter, um, that, that, uh, that I got out of, uh, Afghanistan just recently. What are you guys, um, like how long were your deployments when you went each time? Um, traditional deployments are usually about seven months Okay. each time. And what were you, where, what were you doing on these deployments? Um, so, uh, I, 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 w- I joined the Marine Corps. I was a, uh, anti-tank assaultman, which is an infantryman. And then I lat moved to work with parachutes. I was an 0451 uh, parachute rigger. Um, but obviously not a whole lot of parachutes need to be rigged in, um, in Afghanistan at that point in time. Yeah. Um, so because of my prior experience as, a, uh, as, a, as an infantryman, they made me a machine gunner. So I was a machine gunner on a gun truck, uh, my second deployment. Okay. Um, which was, in my opinion, the best place to be um, because I can see everything. I know what's going on. Um, and I get to put some rounds down range for that 240. So yeah, that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so were you doing that role, both deployments basically? Um, no, I did that, that first, uh, Afghan deployment and the second Afghan deployment, um, I was up in, uh, Bagram and I was, uh, I was actually doing my job. I, I threw out a couple, um, a couple bundles, um, flying around the country, just throwing out resupply bundles in like a civilian casa. And then I got moved down to Herat, where our battalion was, and I kind of ran the camp services. So, like, all the security for the camp and all the Afghans. And, uh, and yeah, and that's where I met um, Saeed, uh, my interpreter. Nice. And what's, what's kind of the, you know, so people who didn't go to Afghanistan, what's kind of the relationship between you guys and, like, your interpreter? What, what kind of role do they play in helping you guys with kind of your day-to-day? Yeah, so, you know, your, your interpreter, your you you get real close with that guy because he's your means of communication with the other Afghans, whether it be the Afghan security guards, the ANA that are on the base, or the workers that are on the base. You know, using that guy to get the things that you need to get done. Um, so you know, you get to know that person. You get to know about their family. Um, you get to know about like where they're from and and their life experiences, um, which was really cool. And you know, I think I can speak for most like Afghan vets that. 
we apps most of us absolutely love the Afghan people. Like they're just great people. Um, so I think that's why you've seen like the support that you've seen yeah. and the outcry um, for these, you know, SIVs to get them out of the country because, you know, most service members love, love their Afghan counterparts. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a, a critical role. And um, so you helped your interpreter get out and a, a couple of others, right. In, the, in his family. Yeah. Um, so walk us through kind of that experience. So, I mean, obviously when, when the news hit, we had the withdrawal date was going to be August 31st and um, it was just kind of a shit show really. I mean, there just, (laughs) there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of strategy put in place behind getting out in these last few weeks. So um, when did that kind of hit your desk and get you kind of in motion? Like when did all that like kind of timeline hit you to you were at the point of like, okay, I got to reach out to my interpreter and see what I can do to help. Actually, he, he reached out to me. Um, he reached out to me back in like January of, oh, wow. of this year. Um, so I think that's kind of the misconception is that, you know, Americans, they kind of forgot about Afghanistan. They're like, oh, we, we sell people there? Like, well, what's, what's going on? But little they know since January, I mean, provinces after province have been falling. Um, you know, Helmand province, you know, uh, up in Kanduz, um, Zar Sharif, all those places have been falling for the, since January. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, it didn't really hit people's radar until, you know, about a month ago is when, um, you know, American people kind of woke up and, and saw what was going on. But anyway, I, I started working his, uh, his package to get over here back in like January. So I wrote him a letter of recommendation, didn't hear anything for a few months. I'd say probably late spring. Um, he started reaching out to me and saying, Hey, you know, Herat is getting ready to fall. Um, we're getting out of here the Taliban know where I live. I'm like, okay, get out of there. He, he needs to start making his way to Kabul. Um, and at that point, this was probably, you know, June timeframe. Um, I started making contact with Daryl Ice's office. Um, and they were great. Uh, they were, they were pinging the state department, but obviously the state department was like overloaded yeah. with SIV applications and everything. And then, you know, I guess what, like two weeks ago, three weeks ago is when, you know, Kabul really started falling. Um, that's when it kind of really ramped up um, in my effort to, to, to get him out. So literally I just started making phone calls um, for, from guys that I've known throughout the service or, um, you know, a couple guys that I went to USC with and just started reaching out to them, seeing who they knew. And it was all just about like connecting the dots. Yeah. Like trying to, Hey, do you know anybody on the ground? Do you know anybody that's working this currently? And eventually I, I made enough phone calls that I was able to connect enough of those dots. And um, so, you know, we had Saeed, his wife, um, his four-year-old son and nine-year-old daughter, basically just moving throughout the city um, from, from one safe house to the next. And you're helping kind of orchestrate that with your contacts to get him from place to place? Yes, yeah, so we're moving him. He's working the, um, he's working the safe house for, for himself on the ground. Um, moving from place to place. Uh, so the first, first time we tried getting him on, on, um, H Kaya, um, the airport in Kabul, um, he made, there was three checkpoints, Taliban checkpoints that he had to make it through. So he made it past the first two checkpoints, no problem. But then by the time he got to the third checkpoint, they wouldn't let him through. So he tried to like muscle his way through or find a way around. And then that's when the Taliban, you know, uh, kind of beat up on him and his son. 
and his wife and him got separated. So they were separated for a few hours. So then, you know, I'm trying to talk with them and trying to get them back together. Um, and then, you know, it was just a long day, long night for me, um, in, in my time zone. Yeah. And, uh, so they were just exhausted. They're, they're him and their kids. They were, they were dehydrated. So they went back to their safe house and just kind of held up. Um, and at that point I was kind of dead in the water, like, um, cause it's all about like solving the next problem. So like the first problem was keeping him safe in a safe house. The next problem to solve was getting him on the base. How do you get it? How do you get, or getting him to the base and then getting him on the base. And then once you get him on the base, how are you going to get him to fly out? Right. So it's, it's all, it's, it was about systematically solving those problems. So I was kind of dead in the water trying to solve the problem of getting him in the gate once I can get him to the gate. So I reached out to a buddy of mine named Matt, um, and he actually knew um, the battalion commander for 2-1 on the ground. So he linked me up with him, um, and uh, he, he was like, hey, look, I can't help you, but I know a guy here that's working extractions for interpreters, and he'll be able to help you. So I reached out to that guy on this uh, encrypted app, and uh, within within 12 hours, we had um, Saeed and his family on the move again. So we had him moving from safe house to safe house. And then um, I don't know exactly how they got him in the gate, whether they had like a like a, a separate gate away from like all where the, the craziness was going on. But the next thing I knew, I got a photo f- uh, of him inside the gate with his family. So victory, right? Like yeah. I got him in there. Um, but then it's like, okay, now how do we get him to fly out? Right. So that's where Daryl Issa's office kind of came into play is they were coordinating with somebody on the ground that was working flights. Um, so they got him um, manifested and uh, put on a flight and uh, they flew out like two hours prior to the, uh, to the suicide vest going off at the Abbey gate. Ooh. So it's crazy because the Abbey gate is the gate that like we were trying to get him in. Um, Cause I knew some recon guys that were on the ground that I was talking to. And we were trying to get him in that way. Um, so right before he flies out, he hits me up. He's like, oh, by the way, um, my brother who lives in San Diego, who's been there as a refugee for two years, his wife and two, two cousin, female cousins are here in, uh, are here in Kabul as well. Can you help get them out? So, you know, I thought I was done. Right. And then it's like, all right, well, all right, boys, we got we got to spin up the bro call again uh, yeah. and get this thing going. <laughs> so that's actually what we called it. We called it making the bro call. So a lot of these Afghans that got out, they got out by the bro call. Um, so it was super cool. Um, by this point, I knew a, a master guns who works in Florida um, at a higher level command, and he was he was instrumental in helping me get the the these three three girls out. Um, cause they were, in, they were in Kabul alone. Um, so you know what their eventuality would definitely be yeah. um, if, if we hadn't got them out. Super scary. So basically same thing, um, moved them out safe house to safe house and then, and then eventually got them out. Um, we actually had them staged at a gas station, um, on the other side of Kabul, uh, when the, when the suicide vest went off and we had to have them, have them go back and, and hang out for 24 hours before it calmed down. Or so it so it could calm down, Jeez. and then uh, then yeah yeah we we got them out the same thing, um, and then eventually they flew out as well. They all ended up in Germany. Um, they're not together, but but I'm, I'm in contact with both sets of uh, 
uh, both both sets of uh, uh, Afghans. And uh, as of this morning, I got a, a text message on WhatsApp that uh, they land uh, my my interpreter and his family landed in DC uh, this morning. Awesome. So, so yeah, that's so, really cool. Yeah. So oh, that's, man. that's, that's the story. Uh, I'm sure there's others, there's many others like it. Um, mine was just a small piece, but yeah, it was awesome. It's a great, great feeling to know that I've, you know, me and my team of, of, of guys made the bro call and saved seven, seven people. Yeah. And you know, what's, what's really like inspiring about that is, you know, a lot of you guys are out like, I mean, you're veterans now, right? Yeah. So you're not, you're not there. You don't have like the rank to pull anymore. You don't have security clearances. You're able to like leverage, yeah. you know, it's well, actually, I'm still on terminal leave. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, the 30th. <laughs> so you have a little bit, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you're not, you know, when you're, and you know this, like when you're working in the, in the government, you know, or the military, if you don't have like the instruction or the order to be doing this stuff, um, there's no support for it. You know, like yeah. you're on your own. Yeah. And, and you know, some of the guys I was working with, um, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to put their names out there, but, um, they were told to, to kind of stand down and they were like, no, we're not, we're not like these people helped us. We're going to, we're going to do the right thing here, uh, regardless if, if we have approval or not. Um, so yeah, again, the bro call, uh, saved the day. That's pretty um, cool. but yeah, I actually did have to pull my rank a little bit, uh, as a first sergeant. Cause once I got him, once I got my interpreter in the gate, um, he hit me up and he's like, Hey, there's this Marine. He's trying to like. He's trying to, you know, escort us off the base. Can you talk to him? So I ended, I, I couldn't communicate with him over voice, uh, uh, over, over over like Facebook Messenger uh, voice because the service was really bad over there. So I ended up, we ended up trading a couple of voice messages and he's like, you know, who is this? And I was like, hey man, my name's First Sergeant Parks. I'm on terminal leave. Like this was my interpreter. I'm trying to get him off uh, on, a, on a flight and get him out of there. Can you please help me out? And uh, we, we've been moving mountains to get this dude out of there. And he, he comes back and he's like, hey, Roger, that first sergeant, this is Lance Corporal so-and-so. <laughs> there you go. And, you know, I'll make sure he gets on a flight. I'm like, oh, dude, thanks. That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty funny. Oh, that's cool. Lance Corporal, criminal Lance Corporal got it done. Yeah. yeah. Well, good for you, man. Hey, if you got to pull rank, pull rank. I mean, <laughs> especially when you're doing that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, for reference, I think um, geographically – um, in Afghanistan, right? We are, all the news is focusing on is, is the airport in Kabul, right? Yeah. Um, but people, not everyone is hanging out in Kabul, right? There's yeah. all these provinces and there's other areas in the country where these interpreters and our people that helped us where they are. So it's not yeah. like, you know, it's not like a three minute walk and Hey, we're at the airport. Um, so yeah. give us kind of an idea of like, like where your interpreter had to travel from in order to get to Kabul and like, what, what does that look like? And what are the, what's happening at like these Taliban checkpoints? What, what, what's going on there? Yeah. So, uh, he, he came from Herat up to Kabul. I, I don't know exactly how far it is. Um, I know it's like on the complete opposite side of the country. Um, and I, you know, for most people to know Afghanistan is fairly large and it's, uh, it's geography is pretty, pretty gnarly. A lot of, uh, you know, low desert, high desert, mountain, mountainous terrain, Hindu Kush mountains. Um, so I, am assuming that I don't know their journey. I haven't heard that side of the story yet. Um, but I'm sure their journey was pretty rigorous, yeah. but, uh, he did tell me like when they were getting into Kabul, they were trying to go through a checkpoint, a Taliban checkpoint and they were, Five, they were like five cars deep into this checkpoint. And um, 
they actually uh, pulled a guy out that was in the first vehicle and they shot him. Um, so like, that's what people are dealing with. Um, I don't know why they shot him. I don't know what, what, what the exact situation was, but, um, but that's the reality like on on the ground. Um, So, I mean, each checkpoint is a life or death situation. Yeah, absolutely. For everyone. You don't know, like, you know, who, who are those people that are at that checkpoint? Are they really Taliban? Like what suit are they wearing on that given day? You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, 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 I'm excited to hear like what his journey was getting to Kabul um, when he gets here, hopefully to San Diego here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, no, it'd be, it'd be really interesting to know what it's like because um, that part of the, the whole script hasn't been told yet. Right. Yeah. Um, and for so many of these people, they're, they're traveling from far and who knows what they had to go through. Right. I mean, yeah. beyond just the checkpoints, I'm sure there was other obstacles, right. Taliban or not, yeah. uh, that they really, that were challenging and probably life or death situations. Not to yeah. mention it's freaking hot there. Oh dude, it's super hot. I mean, not just that, but like, think about like they left all of their possessions. Like they just rolled out of their house, like with just their backpack, you know, like, and the clothes that are on their back. That's it. Like, so, I mean, I think most Americans, if the, like, imagine that. Imagine going home today and just saying, like, hey, we got to leave. And all your stuff, all your pets, all your everything, you're just leaving it there and you're rolling out with a backpack. Like, that's, that's the reality. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I don't know that there's an American that could really fathom having to do that, right? Yeah. And what that would be be like. And this is the reality for these people. Yeah. Um, so uh, tell us a little bit. I know you had some interaction with, you know, uh, Congressman Ice's office. And then I think a little bit with uh, Congressman uh, Crenshaw's office. Um, how were they as far as like communicating with you and support and, and stuff like that? Because, um, you know, there's, you know, in the media, there's such this divide when it comes to the politicians, right? And you've yeah. got, you know, just us versus them all the time. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of hard to know what's really happening, you know, in, in their offices. And when you have kind of a, a crisis like this, what was it like for you guys interacting with them? Um, honestly, it was awesome. I didn't interact with Dan Crenshaw's office. My, my buddy did, but they were, they were more than helpful. Um, and they were instrumental uh, in, in helping us accomplish the things that we were trying to do. Um, uh, this girl, uh, uh, that I talked with in her, in her, uh, in, uh, Daryl Ice's office was awesome. She was in constant communication with me. Anytime I called her, she answered the phone. Um, she was very sympathetic to what, what we were doing. Um, but, and at the end of the day, they can only go so far, right? Like they're, they're, they're the middleman between me and this and the state department and, and my interpreter in the state department. And obviously the state department's overwhelmed with thousands and thousands of applications, um, I mean, obviously my, my interpreter's brother and him submitted at the same time. And he's been here for two years in San Diego. Jeez. So, you know, I can only imagine the, the volume that they've had to deal with, but yeah, their, their, uh, their office was great. I never talked with the congressman directly. Um, but my, my buddy who was, who was kind of helping me get guys out, he talked to Dan Crenshaw directly and obviously, you know, he, he served in Afghanistan. And he, yeah. So it means something to us to still help those people. Um, cause like I said, in the beginning, like, uh, there's a special place in most veterans hearts for the Afghans. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it, it was, it was a great experience. Um, I'm really glad that I got to do it right here at the end while I'm on terminal, probably one of the best things I've ever done throughout my career. 
Um, I'm really grateful to have had the opportunity to work with the phenomenal, you know, service members that, that helped, that helped uh, me out and we, we did it. So it was awesome. That's really, really cool. Well, um, kudos to you, man. Thank you so much for your service and, and your sacrifice and in, in helping these people get out. Um, that's really noble. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as we kind of analyze this and play Monday morning quarterback with this whole Afghanistan thing, it, you know, it seems that, you know, I, I know that, you know, kind of at the joint chiefs level, there's kind of a lot of politics involved at that level of the military. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what we hear on TV, you know, how much of that is really, you know, valid and stuff like that as far as was there a plan? Was this the plan? Was other, were other plans suggested? Um, you know, what's kind of your feeling having been there and worked in commands in that environment and kind of seeing the way that it happened? Um, I don't know, what's, what's kind of your, your processing of all that? Yeah, you know, I, I think I can speak for most most vets um, that were fairly upset with the way like it kind of kind of turned out. Um, and, and I don't agree with the way they did it. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you know, these generals and stuff like I hear, hear a lot of people calling for their resignation and, and all this stuff like they're doing their job. Like you cannot tell me that these four stars went in there and advised the president the way that that, that it turned out. I'm sure they advised differently. But what people don't realize is that we work for elected officials. And at that level, they work for they work for the president. And when they go in, they may disagree. But when they walk out of that office, they have to be on the same page. And that's the way it works. And and if and if that's not the way it's going to be for you, then you need to retire. Uh, and, And unfortunately, that is that that's how it's that's how it is. Yeah. Um, well, it's no different than you having to go into like the company commander's office yeah. and you guys are disagreeing on the way something needs to handle it, be handled, yep. but you walk out of there. If the commander said, Nope, it's this way. So that's the way it is. That's the way it works. Right? You know? So I try and stay away from all the, 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 the politics of it. Obviously it's an emotional thing for a lot of guys to see it, to see it end the way it did. Yeah. Um, and obviously I think most vets can agree that it was, it was time to get out of there. Like we needed to get out of there. We could have done it a lot better, and, sure. and we're better than that. Yeah, um, but this is the way it happened, and hopefully, you know, we can do some. I know the Marine Corps is going to uh, do some after actions, and uh, and 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 really look at what we did wrong, what we could have done better. Obviously, some service members lost their lives, and uh, and and that's that's really unfortunate. And, and it, I don't think it had to happen that way. I think we could have done it um, a lot better, and I think. You know, throughout military history, you know, when you don't let the, the military guys plan a military operation and let, let them do it, this, this is usually what happens. Yeah. And history's shown that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's unfortunate. What do you think this does for, like, the stability in that region? Um, I mean, obviously, there's probably going to be some time while the Taliban tries to get their arms around controlling that country. But at some point, they're going to have some foundational sense there yeah and then um how how do you think that impacts the rest of you know the middle east i mean it's there's there's a lot of aggressive i guess is a a way to put it a lot of other aggressive countries there um supporters of uh terrorists and and things of that nature so how do you think this kind of plays into kind of the future of that region 
I mean, we kind of saw what it was prior to 9-11, um, what, what it kind of turned into. I, honestly, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't really necessarily want to comment on like what, what, what's going to happen there in Afghanistan. Cause I just, I just don't know. Um, all I can say is, you know, we saw what it was before and, you know, there's a pretty good chance it's going to go that route. I know like the Taliban, they don't necessarily get along with ISIS-K. ISIS-K doesn't get along with the Taliban because they're not extreme enough. Um, so that's going to cause some problems. Um, but obviously th there's going to, you know, anytime there's blood in the water, man, there's going to be sharks. Um, so yeah. it's going to be kind of, it's going to be interesting to see how it kind of unfolds over the, over the next um, few months and few years. But on the other hand, like we've got to start focusing elsewhere. Like, we got to start focusing on that next that next fight, and that next fight's going to be a near peer adversary, uh, somebody who has night vision capability, someone who has artillery and fixed wing aircraft. Like that's not a fight that that I had to deal with, right? Um, you know, some some someone like China. Um, that that's that's going to be a massive problem here in the in the next future or in the, in the, in, the, in the near future. I, I I believe. Yeah. So we got to start focusing on them, like the next. Um, service member isn't going to be fighting some guy and placing an IED on, on some dirt road. That's, that's a farmer in his full-time job. Like the next, or, or the future service member is going to be fighting a guy that wears a uniform and a guy that has night vision um, and knows how to use all those capabilities. Yeah. So I, uh, like I said, I think, I think it was time for us to leave Afghanistan, but I, I don't agree with the way we, we did it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think most can agree with that that sense for sure, um, and and I I agree with you know your your thoughts on kind of the next conflict. Yeah. Um, I think that there's some undertones with all of this and China and how they're kind of playing into it today. Yeah. Um, and then how some of that just unfolds with some of the other actors in that region who are allies with China. Yeah. Right. Um, and there's there's some nefarious characters um in the middle east that are allies with china yeah. and um i think this this adds some fuel to that for sure for them um so we'll have to see where it plays out but like you i think that we're we're headed for a, a pretty crazy conflict yeah yeah we'll see i, I mean i think in, cer in certain circumstances we're already in con kind of a conflict um you know economically it's not just about you know putting you know putting rounds down range on the two-way gun range uh, there's other fights that are going on, um, you know, in, in space and cyberspace. Yeah, that's true. You know, so I, I think this is something that's been going on for a while. Um, and I do believe that we need to start focusing on that or it's, or it's going to be, become a bigger problem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm grateful for, you know, the time that I, that I served in the military. It was, it was awesome. Uh, I, I joined with, uh, you know, nothing to my name. I, had, I checked in my first duty station with two sea bags uh, on my back and that was it. Um, you know, and I left the military with, you know, beautiful family. Um, I live here in, in uh, sunny uh, San Diego County. I have a great job. I, had, I got a world-class education leaving. Um, so I, I, I love, I love my service. I'm, I love what it did for me. Yeah. I also love uh, being retired now too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to worry about some of that stuff. Uh, so tell us a little bit about, about your transition, right? Yeah. So you're on terminal now. Um, so you're, you're, you're essentially done. Yeah. Um, 
and you have your real estate license. So you're a licensed realtor here in San Diego area. Um, family lives here in, in San Diego County. Um, so tell us a little bit about um, your transition, what you're doing, and uh, some of the benefits. Like you got you got to go to USC, you yeah. know, as part of the benefit of yeah. being in the military, which is awesome. I mean, that's that's an amazing school to go to and a great education to get. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I really started focusing on my transition probably about my 15-year mark. Okay. I mean, I was already taking uh, college classes before that, but really once I crossed that 15-year threshold, I really started thinking about like, hey, do, do I want to get out at 20? Do I want to make this a career, and go, like a full career and go to 30? Um, all of that. And I think most guys and gals go through that that emotion, that emotional roller coaster between their 15 and 20 year mark, like, oh yeah, I'm going to stay in for 30. And then I am not serving a day over 20. <laughs> um, you know, so really I started just back planning from, th- from 20. Like if I need to get out at 20, like what are the things that I need to do to prepare myself to get out at the 20 year mark? And I hadn't, uh, I had like an interaction with um, my battalion sergeant major around my 17 year mark that really impacted me. So I go into his office, um, and he, he's like distraught about something. And, you know, of course I'm, I'm, I'm a company first sergeant. So I'm thinking, you know, what did, what did I do? Right. What did my guys do? <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, so he, 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 uh, he had a conversation with the monitor like a week prior to that. The monitor is the guy that like gives you orders and tells you where you're going next. So he'd been in California for like two years from Okinawa and uh, he calls him up eight months out from his three year mark. And uh, he's like, Hey, you know, just uh, seeing what's going on. Like, what do you got for me? Do you have anything in Miramar Pendleton area? I want to stay here, blah, blah, blah. Monitor's like, no, I don't have anything for you right now. Give me a call in like a month and uh, we'll work something out. He's like, okay, no problem. So a week later he gets a notification that orders populate for him to go to Camp Lejeune. So of course he's like freaked out. Wow. And uh and I'm like, okay, well, Sergeant Major, if you don't want to take the orders, just get out. And he's like, Well, I can't do that. I'm like, Well, why not? He's like, Well, I, I just I just can't. Like, what am I gonna do? I don't, I don't have anything to fall back on. I'm like, Well, what do you mean? Like, you don't have you don't have school? Like, you're at 22 years. Like, you you haven't finished your education yet? And he looks at me like with this like look of disdain. He's like, Who's had time for that? <laughs> so I look down, I got like my, my ribbons and stuff on. I'm like, well, that's, that's weird. So major. Cause, uh, I've had time. He's like, get out of here. <laughs> you know? So I'm like, dude, just call the monitor back and tell him, no, you're not doing it. Just, and just get out. And he just, he couldn't do it because he wasn't prepared. Yeah. So he's at 22 years. And the way it works when you go past 20 is if you deny orders, the date of those orders is now your effective retirement date. Oh. So those orders were for four months out. So if he would have denied orders, he would have had to retire in four months and he was not ready. Four months isn't enough time to prepare for a life changing event. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his, his kids were in high school. Um, he owned a, he owned a house up in Temecula. Um, his wife had a good job, but I think what guys don't realize is there's so many like benefits that are on the other side of the fence that you can take advantage of to get there. Like your GI bill, like you get SoCal BAH as a sergeant, like Sergeant SoCal BH is like $3,000 a month. Yeah. Like you can go to school and you'll be fine. Yeah. It's not chump change. No. Um, so that was really like, like, uh, pivotal for me in, in my mindset to get out and prepare to get out. Um, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to 
get out just yet, but I wanted to be prepared so that when the time came for me to make that decision, I could execute in four months. So I finished my undergrad in business management. And then I, I was swore, I was like, dude, I'm done with school. Like I'm, I'm burnt out. Like I'm tired of it. 10 years of going to school. Well, and you're working full time on top of that. I'm working full time yeah. on top of that. You know, I'm like, dude, I'm done. Like I, and then two weeks go by and I'm like bored out of my mind. So <laughs> I started looking into master's programs and I landed at the um, master's in business for veterans program. It's the only veterans program um, for your master's um, at a top university in the country. And USC Marshall, the Marshall School of Business runs it. And it's a phenomenal program. So I discovered that. I applied. Um, and oh, let me back up. I went, I went to an informational session in November of 19. And I went in and the director came out. And the first thing he said was, hey, before I introduce myself and tell you about this program, I'm going to tell you what it's not. Um, it's not a place where you can just come here and rest on your past accomplishments. Like if you want to use your military experience to springboard you into the future, then this is the place for you. But if you just want to come here and rest on your past accomplishments and just think that this, this diploma from USC is going to carry you into the future, then you're in the wrong place. And I was like, I don't need to hear anything else. So I'm good. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I applied and I got in and, and uh, I got my acceptance letter in January of 20. And then I started in uh, January, uh, or excuse me, July of 20. And it was 11 month program. Um, so in November of 20, um, I got selected for Sergeant Major and wouldn't you know it, the same thing that happened to my Sergeant Major a couple of years prior happened to me. The monitor, I had my conversation with him. He wanted me to go to a unit that I just didn't want to go to. Um, and basically I just told him like, Hey dude, like, um, that's not where I want to go. And he's like, well, this needs the Marine Corps and you're a selected new, new selected Sergeant Major, you're going to go where we tell you to go. I'm like, well, that's, that's not going to work for me. Um, <laughs> and so obviously that didn't go over very well yeah. uh, for him. And, uh, and, you know, he, he told me, he's like, you know, what, what makes you think that you have this kind of leverage that you can just choose where you want to go? I'm like, well, I've been preparing to get out. I've been preparing for this conversation for the last five years. Um, so I'm ready to get out. Um, and he's like, all right, well, um, if you're not going to execute the orders that I want you to do, then you can retire at your 20 year mark. I'm like, okay, don't threaten me with a good time. Right. <laughs> and then that was pretty much it. Wow. <laughs> so I, I, I got, I, I was already working in real estate at that point. I'd been doing it for, um, about a year at that point. Um, so I, I had some place to land on, um, getting out. Now, I absolutely love being a real estate agent. Still, uh, still wake up every morning and I have like a purpose, you know, like just like from being in the military, I get to help people um, get into their next home. Um, and as of a few months ago, my wife got her license. So now we're like the husband and wife team. That's cool. Which is awesome. Yeah. Um, so it's just great. Uh, the flexibility is awesome. It's very entrepreneurial. Like I don't have a boss. Like I just, I get up. No one tells me what to do. I just, I, I know what needs to be done and I just go do it. Um, and then, you know, looking at my business through the lens of somebody who went through business school is just, is just a whole different experience and it's just awesome. Um, so I, I highly recommend it. 
Um, maybe not necessarily real estate, it's not for everybody, but something entrepreneurial for veterans. I think veterans are, uh, are vastly suited well for entrepreneurship, just, yeah. just like doing what you do. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, um, you know, I've recently just started hearing about that master's program that you went through. Um, and it sounds really, really awesome. And I, and I know just from the light exploration I've done personally for master's degrees and stuff like that, um, you know, USC is definitely a, a great alma mater to be part of for yeah. the networking purposes and things like that. And, you know, it's actually a fairly tight knit group, but I think moreover to your point, like, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you have no boss, you have no one telling you what time to get up, what things you have to do that day. But I think having that background and that education yeah. on the business side of it, right. And, and being able to understand, okay, like, yeah, I don't have to be there at a certain time. I don't have to do these things if I don't want to, but I know because I want to make it a business and yeah. earn a profit yeah. that I need to tackle these things on a daily basis in order to get, and like, so you understand a little bit more of the inner workings and you can overlay that with the military discipline yeah. that you've had, you know, pounded into you for the last 20 years, yeah. which is now a part of your DNA, yeah. right? So you wake up and you go, yeah. right? It's just, you know, there's no lollygagging. It's here I am. I'm ready to, I'm ready to work. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's awesome. So I, I love that because, you know, I talk to so many people who, you know, have ideas of maybe getting to real estate who don't have the same background and um, just think that it's going to be this walk in the park. I'm going to make a gazillion dollars and I'm, I'm going to be on Bravo TV or something, yeah. you know, and have a show. <laughs> and and it couldn't be further from the truth, right? I mean, it's it's a lot of discipline. It's hard work. And yeah, you don't have a schedule, but you don't necessarily have time off either, right? Yeah, it's tough. You know, it, it's tough because, you know, you say you you find the home right for your client, and you you look at the wife, and she's got that twinkle in her eye, and you're like, dude, I've got to make this happen. Like I've got to figure this out. So I think you know, having been in the military and everything, you know, I've had I have experience in solving complex problems. Every transaction transaction is different, which is what I love about it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, it really prepares you well to solve all those problems, and then. To get back to uh, the, the USC thing, like re being able to reach out to those guys like uh, and gals that I went to school with, like every day I have a conversation with somebody that I went to school with and it changes my perspective and helps enhance my business. Um, so you just have like this network just on tap to help you solve some of those problems that you encounter every day. Yeah. Um, and same with the military, you know, like I reach out to military guys all the time for advice and mentorship. Um, and so I still have those connections, uh, which is, which is just great. Um, so yeah, your, your network truly is your net worth. Yeah. Uh, so as cliche as that sounds, yeah. it, it holds a lot of weight. And I think, well, one of the, the great things and, you know, like lessons that you learned from military was that conversation your Sergeant major had, yeah. you know, way back, you know, when you, you're around your 15 year mark. Right. And that was kind of like an aha moment for you. And there's, I think there's things like that that happen in our lives, especially in the military that we just need to have, you know, be listening and watching for, yeah. um, and be ready to receive that stuff. Because what if you had just ignored that? You know yeah, what I mean? I wouldn't have been prepared. Right. I'd and be at that unit right now that I don't want to be at. Exactly. I'd be miserable. Totally. Yeah, um, it, you're right, dude. It, it's it's all about like taking advantage of opportunities. Um, every and this isn't organic to the military or or or, or entrepreneurs or, or whatever. It, it's it's organic to everybody. 
Like every single day, an opportunity is going to fall in your lap. And whether you, and it just depends on whether you're going to execute on that opportunity or not. Uh, and that's yeah. honestly, that's all I have done uh, since I graduated high school. Um, I just took advantage of opportunities. You know, um, my master sergeant walks in and says, hey, this guy can't go on deployment to Afghanistan. Do you want to go? Yeah, absolutely. Where do I sign? Let's do this. Um, hey, you got back from Afghanistan here. Uh, uh, you want to go to Freefall Jump Master? Yeah, it sounds awesome. Let me let me hurl myself out of an aircraft at 120 <laughs> miles an hour with yeah. uh, with 120 pounds of gear on me. Yeah, let's do this. Um, hey, do you want $6,500 in tuition assistance, you know, to go to school and knock out six classes a year? Yeah, let's do it. So it's all about just taking advantage of opportunities. Right. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, um, dude, I love hearing your story and, you know, what you've done, you know, to help your interpreter and their family get out of Afghanistan. Um, you're just, you know, a model citizen and a hell of a Marine and a veteran. So um, I thank you and appreciate you carving out some time for us today um, to be on the podcast. And, you know, we look forward to maybe having you on the show again. Yeah, dude. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm humbled by your kind words. Um, uh, I, I feel like I'm just like a regular dude. And I, I just, you know, opportunity comes my way, you know, whether uh, if it's an opportunity for me to help somebody out or if it's an opportunity to um, do better so that my family can do better. I just try and take advantage of it. It's nothing special. Anybody can be that guy. You just got to be that guy. So that's hey, right. Thank you, Jason. Thank you so yeah, much for thanks. checking out today's episode. If you have any questions about the guests on the show, please reach out to me at valoneguy.us.